Good morning, Faith Church of Linden. Um, once again, we are online for the services today. Highly, it's good to hear from you. In just, just for a few minutes, I can see any of your comments here at the beginning of this live stream chat, if you have that. Um, I intend to preach the word this morning, and I wish we were together in person, but I am thankful that we can somehow we can communicate in many different ways, and one of the ways that I can communicate to you is bring the word through this, this means, and I pray that God will use it this morning. Good morning on this Lord's Day. It is, it is a beautiful November day, and we got a nice snow fall going on right now during the message, and so I, how, how beautiful is that? Good to see you, Janet, at least online, and I pray that God will bless you and Mike and I just want to begin this morning's service by inviting you to do a few things in preparation for Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4 is our text for this morning, and I want to encourage you to um, get a notebook, or if you're a digital note taker, have your notes ready to take on your phone or on a computer, but I encourage you to take notes, and to take notes for several reasons. I would say this any Sunday, whether you're at the church service, you're in the building, watching, sitting around with your family and friends, taking notes. I wrote down a few things why I, I really think it's really worthwhile for you to take notes. One is, um, I think my sermon will be better if you take notes, just because I think that you'll, you'll engage with it in a different way. I believe that it'll be more memorable to you if you take notes, even just write down things that stand out to you, a phrase here, a phrase there, maybe something related to the psalm uh, that I'm going to be sharing. I think you'll be less distracted. Um, some of you become experts at being able to watch undistractedly online because you've had to. You've, you've had to um, participate in the ministry of the Word through this kind of platform. I'm so thankful for you and for you using this means, but it is easier to be distracted and so notes can be a real help against distraction. It's also really helpful for me and for anybody else to just go back and reflect on a particular point or a thought. And it will help you just continue on allowing the Word of God to dwell in you. And lastly, it'll, you'll have something for you to be able to share and bless with others. So that's my, my challenge to you this morning is to, to participate, be active in this message this morning by grabbing a notebook, grabbing a piece of paper, and taking notes um, from Psalm chapter 4. Well, this is quite a interesting, um, this is an interesting week. Um, last week we went online for the first time, so we went on the, fi on the 15th of November, because a few in our house, a few connected to the church, had COVID, it seemed to be spreading, and, and it's shocking that over this last week, we've had probably about 25 um, positive cases of COVID in our congregation. Thankfully, um, not one of them have had to be hospitalized. Some it's been very mild. Some it's been very painful and very uncomfortable and at times miserable, but thankfully God has sustained you, sustained us. Last Sunday, I preached on Psalm 3, and that evening I went to bed and with a fever, 
and this week uh, fought COVID all week and I'm so thankful for feeling so much better on this Sunday. This was a Sunday of preparing Psalm 4 with COVID and so um, you, I guess you'll be able to judge whether um, I'm really foggy in my mind or I was able to apply it and I, I, I pray it will be that, that God will use that in a, in a helpful way. It was a, a blessing to be able to meditate and to study Psalm 4. Our prayer is for you, Faith Church, and for whoever else is watching this that is looking for a church home or looking to Jesus Christ or looking for Christ, looking for God at this time. Our prayer is for you that God would help you to know, to apply what God says about himself and to have a real relationship with him and to grow in that relationship. It is it is our desire and our prayer that we can be a ministry to you. If you are part of this church, um, I hope that you've already been reached out to in some form this week. I am praying for you and I'm thankful that I've heard for so many of you. And even when I don't hear from you, I know that you're praying for me, you're praying for our congregation. We just really need to do that. As I said last week, we need to pray for unity and we need to pray for spiritual protection and physical protection. And we need to pray for discernment, how to live and act in a time like this. And we need to pray that we would shine as lights in this world, not grumbling or complaining, but shining as lights in this world. And with all this, a courageous zeal. Uh, Lord willing, next Sunday on the 29th, so that to wrap up November, Pastor Mike will be delivering a message. We intend for that to be online one more week, and then if, if the Lord wills, we'll go back to having two online services, two services on campus in December, knowing that there are going to be many that need to stay quarantined, uh, and we, we so appreciate you, and we want you and everyone to stay careful. So let me pray. I'm going to give a pastoral prayer, and then I'm just going to jump into Psalm chapter 4. God, I pray that you would help me and help the people of Faith Church of Linden. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you, and we hallow your name, and we ask that your kingdom would come, and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, God, I thank you that you have helped us. You have been a help to us this week and this morning and this these past years and this past year. God, I pray that you would be hallowed by working in the lives of myself and every member of this church, every attender, everyone that considers faith their home. I pray that you'd give us a greater, a true commitment to Christ over all earthly comforts. I pray, God, that you would give us a happiness and a delight in you. No matter what the situation, God, would you give us a song in our distress? Would you give us hope in our despair? Would you help us to overcome anger that could come, especially when we are hurt by people and just being hurt through the circumstances that are come into our lives? God, I pray that you would allow the technology to work this morning in my home and in the homes of everyone that tune in. God, I pray that you would be with my friends and pastors that are pet preaching in the towns, in the county around us. I pray that you would just minister mightily in them and through them. 
I want to thank you for their fellowship with us. I want to thank you for our brothers and sisters at all the other churches. I just pray, God, that you administer to their pastor and to them as they're broadcasting or meeting live. And I pray that you administer to them. I pray for those that are sick in our church and people that I don't even know who are sick. I pray that you would sustain them and help them. Help Mike Bellows. Would you just continue to help him strengthen Dee and just give her the resilience and help during this long recovery. God, I pray that you would be with everyone here that has even un-COVID-related illnesses and difficulties and trials. God, please help them. I pray that you'd be with our country, our leadership, our state, our president and the president-elect, and I pray, God, that you would be glorified in their lives, and I pray that they would walk in wisdom and faithfulness. Oh, God, I pray that you'd be with Brian and Heather in Cameroon, David Livingston in India. I pray that you would be with our other missionaries across the world. I pray that you would minister to, their, to the nations that they're serving. And I pray that the churches in Cameroon would grow and thrive. I pray the churches in India would grow and thrive. You'd provide and meet all needs. God, I pray that you'd be with teenagers. I know they want to get together, and we haven't had youth group in a, several weeks, and I just pray that you would continue to help them, grow them, and I pray that they would be young men and women who love you and are showing an example even in their own home. I pray that their parents would be a blessing to them and them to their parents. I pray for young kids as they are not able to practice this morning for a Christmas program. I pray that you'd minister to them and bless them. God, just draw their hearts to the God of Psalm 3. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One last word before we jump into this text. I'm here at my house. This is our what we call our library. And so it's turned into um, the place where I, I get to preach this time in November. And a few people ask, so is your whole family sitting in front of you? Are they your audience? Yes and no. Uh, I have my son here who has an iPad to just kind of check on the live stream. So Paul's here. He had COVID, he's doing great, praise God. And then the rest of my kids are down the basement on the live stream watching. So they're probably about 10 or 15 seconds delay. And Molly is listening to the live stream, taking a walk with our dog, Millie. So Millie does not provide unwanted entertainment to you this morning, because that would be very possible. Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. Will you look with me at Psalm chapter 4? And I'm looking for my Bible. Here it is. Does this morning find you distressed? This is a song for the distressed. You know, you know what that means, distressed? Um, it literally means to be enclosed into a very tight corner, pressed in. I guess you get the word stress. You feel the stress. You're overwhelmed. You're at a point where you're almost despairing sometimes. You're stressed maybe to the break, the point of breaking, or you might describe it discouraged, despondent, 
depressed, or brokenhearted. This is a song, this Psalm 4 is a psalm for the distressed. I like what Tim Keller says about the Psalms in general. The Psalms, of which we are now studying week by week, we'll take some breaks, um, but we're going through some, many of these Psalms right now. They're, they're deeply emotional prayers. That's what the Psalms are. Sometimes we find in the Psalms that there's anger, and sometimes there's discouragement and overwhelmedness, and, and sometimes there's joy and praise. There's all these kinds of emotions, and the Psalms, they're so real. They're so full of reality. Um, but unlike our world, our, the way people approach the Psalms, or I should say approach emotions in life, they, they either take this idea that I need to stuff my emotions, I need to stuff my feelings in any way, I need to deny them, they're not good. Um, most people don't do that these days, but there are some Christians that still have this kind of mindset, I just need to stuff it. Don't ever express how I feel. And there are others, and this is more of the, the spirit of our day, I need to express my feelings and emotions no matter what. Um, some people are under-aware of their emotions, and some are overawed by their emotions. But not stuffing our emotions and not over-expressing is where we are to go. Instead, the Psalms say we are to pray our emotions, our feelings. Not in some kind of fancy way, but from our hearts, authentically, sincerely. And they, they help us to do that. And once again, as we look at this psalm, I want to do this, what I want to do, what I've been doing the last few weeks, is I want to break down the psalm, the structure of the psalm, help you see the different elements of this psalm, and then just apply it to your life. Reflect on the God of this psalm. Look to Jesus in this psalm. Apply it and let it feed us. I pray that we'll listen into Psalm 4. We'll listen to its words, its prayers, its advice. We'll join in Psalm 4 and act it out and live it in our lives and follow the psalmist as he does three things. He does three things in here, and I'm going to read it. In verse 1, he prays in confidence. If you're a note taker, prays in confidence. Verses 2 through 6, he gives advice, gives godly advice. And then in verses 7 and 8, he praises God for the gift of contentment. So will you look with me there? Let's read Psalm 4, 1 through 8. This is to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. We know David is, again, writing is the author of this psalm. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart 
than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Amen. Here is a song of distress. It's a song that begins by praying earnestly, urgently, and confidently to God. Faith Church, whoever's watching this this morning, when in distress, number one, pray with confident hope. Look at verse 1. This is a verse that I encourage you to just take and chew on it this week. Chew on every phrase. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. What we find here, David is in distress. We don't know if this is the same situation as the week before or, or the psalm before, Psalm 3. Many tie these right together. Absalom's trying to seek to destroy him and take his kingship. His own son is killing him. Whatever it is, David is in distress. And in verse 1, he prays with confident hope. I want you to ponder what kind of prayer we see or what we learn about prayer in here. This is a very insightful prayer. God gave us these prayers, these inspired prayers by his people for us to learn, to to make them our own prayers, but to also learn the kinds of things we should do as we cry out to God. Not so that we have this kind of formula that says, I got to do this, this, and this, and then God will hear my prayer and accept it. No, he just gives us, it seems like thousands and hundreds of prayers as we take them up and we make them our mind and put them in our minds and our hearts and we pray them back to God. God loves to hear his own word back, prayed back to him. And look at some of these attributes about this prayer. First of all, he's desperate. Do you see the desperation here? Answer me when I call. I have five kids. There's been times where I hear them say, Dad, answer me. I need an answer. There, when you say that because you just want so bad to hear from the person that's supposed to be listening. Have you ever felt that way? Are you feeling that way right now when you need to cry out to God and you're saying, God, answer me. Help me. Do, do you hear his des- desperation? God, I need to know that you're listening. That's what David does. So he's desperate. But also in his prayer, he is He is instructive in that he appeals to God's character. When we pray, let's appeal to God's character. What I mean by that, he says, Oh God, answer me. Oh God of my righteousness. He knows that his righteousness is connected to God. He's the God of my righteousness. I am right before God only, David knows, And we know only because of God's mercy and grace making us righteous. And it was as it was true for Abraham, who was declared righteous because of his faith. So David was only righteous because of his faith in God. And he says, oh God of my righteousness. What is it that you are needing to cry out? It might be that you are literally feeling the effects of COVID this week and you're crying out to him saying, oh God of my righteousness, please help me. God, you are a God. You're the God of my righteousness. You dare to listen to me. You have mercy to listen to me because you are my righteousness and I appeal to you and your character here. 
Maybe you're feeling desperate about some financial or relational or health situation. Maybe you're just feeling lonely and discouraged and you feel like, man, another week where we're not getting together or stores are being closed or politics are depressing me or whatever it is, oh God of my righteousness. Oh God, when I think about this phrase of my righteousness, I realize quickly that I am only righteous because of your mercy, that I stand and I can actually be heard before you and not destroyed when I approach your holiness because you made a way to be righteous for me. When we pray, let's appeal to God's righteous. Let's appeal to God's righteousness. Let's appeal to his character. He does that here in two phrases later, but before we do that, he reflects also on God's past faithfulness. When we pray, let's reflect on God's past faithfulness. That's what I see in that phrase. You have given me relief when I was in distress. You see that? When you pray, you should pray, God, I'm coming to you now with a big need, but i got to remember when I was in distress in the past, when I was overwhelmed, when I was sick, when I was discouraged, when I needed your help, I cried out to you and I saw you deliver. It took time, but I look and I say, you were you were right. You were wise. I'm, it was good that you afflicted me, as the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Oh God, you've taken care of me. When I was in distress, you gave me relief. This idea has to do with when I was boxed in, in distress, in a tight corner, you gave me space. You brought me into open spaces. You brought me relief. You brought a breath of fresh air into my life, and you delivered me. When, when you are praying today, and I, no matter what, as we think and reflect, we're going to have things that we are going to rightfully be distressed about, and we take to God. And we need to do that remembering, oh God, you have helped us. I plan to say something at the very end today, but I have... I have this rock right here. This is 2019. This is our Ebenezer rock. This Tuesday, we were going to meet. We're not doing that this year, but we were going to meet to have an Ebenezer service. And I have, there's writing all over it with different people's names and different um, words that remind us of blessings of 2019. And we're going to do that with 2020. You see, the, this rock is a reminder and we should do things to remind ourselves when we pray and cry out to God, God, you have helped us. I know you, some of you keep a journal and remember the works of God in your life. God, you've been faithful in the past. That's what, that's what the psalmist does. And then lastly, he appeals to God. He asks for God's grace. That's what we find in that last phrase. Be gracious to me. Literally, God, show me grace. Give me grace. Give me something I don't deserve more than I, 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 I don't deserve your mercy. But give me grace and hear my prayer. This is not a shallow prayer, even though it's a simple one-verse prayer, as David confidently says, answer me. Oh, God, answer me. I'm desperate. But, oh, God of my righteousness. Oh, God, you remember you are my righteousness. You've given me the gift of prayer. You've said that I can call on you at any time. And he reflects and he remembers his faithfulness from the past and has 
but courage and confidence to say, be gracious to me. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to ask him for his grace. He loves to show mercy and steadfast kindness. You see, Jesus Christ is the great prayer of all times. He was on this earth, and it says, in the days of his flesh, he cried out with prayer and supplications, with great tears and cries, and he was heard because of his obedience. Jesus Christ is our great high priest who is always interceding for us. He sympathizes us when we pray to him. It's like he's by the throne of God, and when we pray, he, he hears and he says, now listen, they're, they're united to me. They're united to me, all who have put their faith and trust in me. And God hears your prayer. I pray that God would grow us in Psalm 4, verse 1, kind of confident praying. That's, that's how this song of distress begins. But then this song of distress for the body of the psalm gives advice. From verses 2 through 6, he gives advice. He gives advice to enemies, and it seems like he gives advice to companions. He gives advice to three different categories of people, and I'm going to call them, he gives advice to snakes, he gives advice to people who are hotheads, and he gives advice to eors, you know, pessimists. So snakes, and he gives advice to hotheads and to eors, of which we can all be at times. You remember David's going through trials and tribulations. We're not sure what they are, but we can just say they're bad. Just like you're going to go through them, or you're going through trials. And, and he gives advice in the midst of this psalm, this song of distress. And we need to listen. We need to listen to be rebuked or warned, and at times be encouraged. Here, I'm not sure what the context, but imagine this might have been the context. Remember I said last week that David was fleeing from his son, some Ab, son Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 16. And so it could be this scenario that as David leaves his home city with some of his family, and they're, they're, they're running off, and he has his fellow men with him, his bodyguards, and they're trying to escape. They're in refuge. As he was leading, leaving, we read in 2 Samuel 16 that when David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed David continually. He threw stones at David as if, as he it says and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on David's left and Shammai said as he cursed get out get out you man of blood you worthless man the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom see your evil is on you. You are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to king. So we find Saul's descendants mocking David, saying, See, God's getting you. See, you deserved it. See, you're getting what you deserved. And David, David had, Absalom was wicked. They were lying about David. And as David's leaving, one of his bodyguards, Abishai, says, let me take my sword and let me just go kill him. Literally, he says, Abishai said to him, Why should this dead dog, my lord the king, curse? Let me go over and take off his head. He's a hothead. But the king said, 
What have I to you do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, there's done wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me for the cursing done today. So David and his men went on the road, and Shammai kept on cursing him, throwing stones and dust on him. So whether this was the situation or not, I think it seems to fit pretty well. David has a lot of temptations. What do I do? I get back at him. He's angry. He's leaving. He's grieving. His heart is breaking. And he has people taunting him, mocking him, lying. And David gives counsel in Psalm chapter 4. Look what the counsel. First of all, he gives counsel to the slanderer. And I would say to the slandered person. Or the, the slander, the snake. Oh men, look at verses 2 and 3. How long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Yes, David had been guilty in the past, but now he had been seeking the Lord and following him. Yes, God was bringing consequences, and these wicked people were causing David to suffer. And David gives advice to the wicked, to the slander, to the lies, to liar. Oh man, how long shall you, shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And then he gives counsel to those who get slandered. Maybe he's counseling himself. Maybe he's counseling others that are sitting around and saying, hey, just listen. Listen to this advice. People are accusing us. They're, saying, they're taking what should be honorable to us and they're saying it's now something worth being shamed about. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Yes, I'm being removed from kingship temporarily, and maybe it will be forever, but God has promised to take and withhold my kingdom. But I will trust in him. God, I know that Yahweh, the Lord, has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. His first advice to this, to the snake, to the to the liar, to the the cursor is to say, You will not have a voice for very long. How long will you do this? How foolish it is. Your, your reckoning is coming and God has set apart. He has this idea of he keeps, he holds. Those who are godly belong to God. And brothers and sisters, <clears throat> the longer we live in this world and are faithful as Christians, we will live in a way that people in this world will attack us. They will lie about us. They will take our honor, which is faithfulness to God, and turn it to shame. They will mock us, maybe for our views on the, on the Bible itself, and on sexuality, and on marriage, and in, on morality in general, and just commitment and sacrifice for Christ. And they will try to mock and shame us. And we must remember verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. Probably one of the greatest accusers, liars, slanderers to any one of us is not going to literally be a person, but it's going to, I mean, a human being in this world, but it's going to be sin, the enemy, Satan, 
or he's called our accuser, and he will try to make you feel in the midst of your distress to give up and despair, to feel like, man, God's, it's coming down on me. I deserve this. I'm being attacked, and I, I, I knew it would come, and you think that God is against you. You need to listen and say, even if God is disciplining you, even if God is allowing trials to come into your life right now, you need to listen and talk back to those accusers. Verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And I become godly only by putting my trust in Christ. I confess my sins. He is faithful to forgive me and cleanse me. He may discipline me for a time, but he loves me and he will restore me. He will hear me when I call. Listen to that counsel, friends. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, Psalm 8. Romans 8 says. David says, you may hurl in accusations at me, but God hears my prayer. He appeals to the fact that God is his judge, God is his righteousness, God has set apart himself for special care. Now, see, that's, that's the first category of people he gives counsel to. You see, then he gives counsel to the hothead, verses 4 and 5. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, trying to put these things together, it seems like what David is doing now is he's saying, he might be speaking to himself, he might have learned from experience, but he's saying, you who have been hurt, you're in this trial, this, this distress, this difficulty, and frankly, if you're into trial right now, you have temptation to get angry. Angry at the people that are have caused this in your life. Angry at people that are just not very sympathetic to you. Angry at family members who are not loving you or showing you care like you need or you feel like you need or sympathy. It might be that you're angry at God. And David's counsel here is be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your bed and be silent. Now I think what David's saying here, he's saying you're angry at those that are lying about you. You're angry at the attacks. You're lang angry at the injustice. That's okay. You're, it's okay to be angry at injustice. But lay down. Cover your mouth. Be silent. Don't be quick to answer. You're going to say things that you will regret. You will say things in a sinful way. It, the, the anger of man rarely produces the righteousness of God, according to James. And so, cool off, ponder on your bed, and be silent. And instead, go to God, offer right, sincere sacrifices, call unto God with sacrifices unto God, and he, he punctuates it with this, and trust in the Lord. Put your trust in God. Put your confidence in God. You, you see, realize when we get angry and are hotheads at the moment, we want to try to fix something. We want to get back at something. We want to do something to make ourselves feel better. But in reality, it doesn't. And he says, put your trust in the Lord. Be quiet. Too often when we go through trials and tribulations, our songs of distress 
could turn into songs of anger at God. And it is never, I want to say this, it is never right to be angry at God because God is never wrong. It is right to be angry at injustice. It is right to be angry at sin. It is right to be angry at those things for God's sake. But God is never wrong. There are times, yes, that we do not understand God. We do not see His purposes. And it seems like His ways are dark and difficult and hard and painful. They are definitely crosses. When we are tempted to be angry at God, would you cry out to God and trust Him? Would you be silent on your bed and look to the Lord I also would ask you, God has given us a family, a family of God. And this is one of the ways in which if you found yourself angry at God for situations, circumstances in your life, you need the help of other brothers and sisters to help you walk through this painful situation and pursue a reconciled relationship with the God who you absolutely need and must not ab abandon in your anger. And so we'd ask you to help, reach out for help. Reach out to me. Reach out to your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ at faith to help you deal with that anger. He also gives counsel to the despairing or to the downcast, or I'm going to call the Eeyore, the pessimist. You look at verse 6. There are many who say... Who will show us some good? Have you, have you ever felt that when things just happen and bad things, it just seems like one trial after another, there's always that somebody that that at least their attitude is, when is anything else is going to go good? It's the rest is this, the rest of this year is 2020 is just terrible, or nothing else is going to go good. You know, the the person that's always the Eeyore, the negative person, the pessimist, and, and it's David knew and had those in his life. And he says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? It seems like nobody is. There's, it's just one thing after another. I, I want you to ponder what David does in response to that despairing attitude. Look at, look at how he responds. He doesn't give advice. He doesn't, he doesn't give a black platitude. He doesn't give a Romans 8 28, God works all things together for good, so trust him, even though that is true and helpful at times. He stops in the psalm and he responds to that question, who will show us some good? And he, it's like he lifts his eyes up to heaven and he says, oh God, would you lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. He says, our attitudes are pessimistic and discouraged because one difficulty after another have come, one disappointment after another, one hardship after another. And what we need more than anything is for you to show your face in a special way and bless us. It doesn't mean removing us from the trial. It just means, would you please help and lift your face upon us? You see, what he's doing is he is actually taking one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament that every Israelite would have known it's number 624. It was the Aaron's blessing to his people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine on you and lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. And if God's people had that, it changed. It's like it's the light of a day that shines spiritually on them and changes everything. And he turn, takes that benediction, a phrase of that benediction, and turns it up into a prayer 
for the despairing. That is, I do know there are some in our church more than others that have this despairing attitude about life and about difficulties. May God shine his face upon you and lift up his countenance upon you this morning, this year. I pray that all of us would be able to not look at 2020 with distaste or discouragement because we will say 2020 is custom made by a loving and gracious God who has and does and will forever turn his face upon us because he turned his face towards us through Jesus Christ when he saved us. Oh, I pray that we listen to the counsel of this passage, the counsel to those who are, are lying or being lied about and counsels to those who are angry and counsels to those who are, are just despairing. But I want to give counsel to you before I get close to wrapping up here is I want to, I want to give counsel and advice to you if you're watching this and maybe you're not yet saved or a believer. Are you living for yourself and not for God? Have you not yet surrendered control to Him? Are you still in your sins? Have you not yet been forgiven by Jesus? Have you not gone to Him to heal you from your sin and separation that makes everything all messed up? Do you still disbelieve His goodness and His wisdom and His power and His right to rule your life and do whatever He pleases with you? I invite you, I counsel you, I encourage you this morning to lay it all down and trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. God so loved the world and He loved that so much that he gave his own son, Jesus Christ, to be distressed on a cross like no one has ever been distressed, who took upon us all our sins and the sins of the world upon his body. And he took our sins as a, he became the punishment for the sins of everyone that repents, turns away from their own sins, asks him to forgive them, and accepts his free gift and does it because they trust in him. That could be you today. You could right now in your seat pray and ask him to save you and he will save you and he will change your life and he will be your savior and he will be your Lord. Please do that. He transforms our status from enemies to children, cared and loved for, forever. Would you call on the name of the Lord and be saved? Would you call on him today? Surrender to him. Give your life to him. That is the foundation to everything here. And it is the foundation as we move to the final point of this message. And that is, a song of distress means we are to praise God for his gifts of contentment in our distress. Look at verses 7 and 8. Look at verse 7 and 8. I'm going to label this category, this, these last two verses, as praise to God. You see, verse 1, he's praying. Verses four through six, or 2 through 6, he's advising. And in verses 7 through 8, he's praising again. And, he, and he's welcoming the congregation to, to praise him in this. And, he, and I'm going to say he praises God for the gift of contentment. And look at verses 7 and 8. I'm going to read it. 
you have put more joy in my heart than they have. They is unbelievers. Those that are not putting their trust in God. Those that don't get God, get, get life from God in the spiritual way. You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. It's the time in which of harvest season, when it is the most happy celebratory time of enjoying bounty and feasting and delight and provision in which their hearts are glad like nothing else with wine and food. It says, you put more joy. And then he says, and in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. If the world could market the two gifts of contentment that are found in verses 7 and 8, they would make trillions. But they can't. They try to. They try to find joy and peace, and they can't do it. And David praises God and says, Verse 7, God has put more joy in my heart than you could ever imagine without him. You see this gift of joy, and I'm going to say it's a gift of contentment. You see, I love how the Puritans, the old-timers used to talk. I was reading this week, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. It is, you can find it for 99 cents on Kindle, five or six bucks probably on Amazon, a used copy. It's so good. Oh, we need contentment. David had it. And he had it in joy, and he had it in peace. Look at verse 7. See the gift of joy? He had massive joy. Oh, I want massive joy. I don't have massive joy. I want to grow in joy. This week, pondering this verse, gave me more appetite and more categories and more pursuit of joy in the midst of being sick, not being happy about not gathering at our location this Sunday. He gave me verse 7. Look, look at this. It's Listen to this joy. He says it's a joy that's from God. He says, you have put more joy. This is not a joy that is human. It's divine, divine joy. And you see how it's, it's great and massive joy. You have put more joy. It's great joy. It's abundant type of joy. More joy than the people around me, they think they have it going. They're partying. They're enjoying possessions. Oh, may we not be so discontent and compare ourselves to those around the world that have health and money and all of the things that we think will make us have joy. Oh, we need this joy of verse 7 where David says, You put more joy in my heart. And it's an internal joy. It's in my heart. It's, it's there, it's rooted deeply within my soul, and it's an enduring and independent joy. Do you see how it's independent of circumstances? He says, they, they have joy when their wine and grain abound, because they don't have refrigeration, and so they have a pretty boring diet for a certain part of the life part of the year and then at the harvest season, then they get to enjoy all these things at once, but then it gets boring again for a while. And that's when their joy is. My joy is independent of those circumstances. My joy is found in the God who loved me, who put joy in my heart. 
the God that hears my prayer when I call, who has set apart the godly for himself and hears my prayer and I trust in him, the one who in the past has brought me release, relief in my distress, the God who does all things and works in my life and gives grace and hears my prayer. That God has given joy in my heart. Do you want it? The reason why he sings this psalm for the congregation so that they would sing it and they would hear it and learn that David had it and they would have it themselves. And it's in God and God alone. I pray that God would make us a joyful people. One of the greatest testimonies to the world is when we go through a lot of distress and difficulty and we got Psalm 4-7 joy. Oh, would you pray for... Psalm 4-7 joy this week. And then, but I say it's like one half of contentment. Contentment is this sweet inward joy or sweet inward quiet spirit that rests in God. And do you see the other verse 8? He says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For alone, O Lord, you make me dwell in safety. Some call Psalm 3 a morning prayer, and Psalm 4 is an evening prayer, because here he says, I go now to sleep. I lie down and sleep, and you, he says, he says, I can, in, in this verse, he says, in peace I will lie down in a sleep, for you, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You are the source of my safety, and I have peace. Oh, the world longs for peace and joy, and David says, it found, it's found in a relationship with God. It's with Yahweh, through Jesus Christ. It's a peace that's absolutely real and it's founded on God and it's tangible. He says it's so tangible that I can go and I can lay down and I can fall asleep because he's taking care of me. There's stories of, this week again I read of stories of martyrs who one was going to be burned to the stake in Scotland for, for his testimony and faith. And, and a relative came, to, wrote a letter to him and said, on the night before you die, would you like me to stay up with you? Would you like me to stay up with you and help comfort you as this is your last hour? And he said, oh, why would I do that? Why would I waste a good night of sleep? I'm just going to rest in the Lord. He slept like a baby that night and went to, to, the, to being burned at the stake for Christ, knowing he was going to rest in the safety of his God. We are people that have a safety... And therefore, a peace can have a peace like nothing else in this world could ever touch. That is why, and as I come close to concluding here, that's why Paul will write in Philippians, towards the end of it, some of the most important words about contentment and words about anxiety when he says, don't be anxious about anything. Oh, you're anxious. You're fearful. Don't just... Instead... Instead of being anxious, take everything to God in prayer, like the psalm. Praying to God, oh God, hear my prayer, oh God of my righteousness. I just offer up to you, you helped me in the past, thank you. You've helped me in the past. You're my Ebenezer, this is my Ebenezer. I remember you're the God that always is doing work for me, and I'm remembering that. And Paul says, and the peace of God, the peace that allows you to sleep like a baby, even though... The cancer is still there, even though the finances haven't, aren't fixed. Although COVID-19 is going crazy through our church and through our family, 
even though we don't know what tomorrow may bring, what's going to happen in our politics and in our land. It doesn't matter. I can sleep and rest because the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, Philippians 4, 7 says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, that's what Paul, and he finishes this, and he says, so finally, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, and whatever is just and pure and lovely and whatever is commendable and excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you've learned and received and heard from and seen in me, practice these things. Now note this. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, he says, the peace of God comes. But the reason why we have the peace of God is because there's a God of peace. Oh, that we'd want the God of peace, the God of joy, more than the joy of God and the peace of God. Because if we have the God of peace, and if we have the God of joy, we have it all. Oh, that we would feast upon and grow and, and follow and in, follow the invitation, the counsel, and live out Psalm chapter 4 and look to Christ Christ our Redeemer, Christ that makes these truths a reality. I pray that as we conclude this service, that this Thanksgiving week, this week that may be full of some disappointment because you had plans and it's not happening, or you might be able, I pray that you'll be able to enjoy Thanksgiving plans this week, but no matter what, that is not the source of your joy or your peace. It will be the God of peace, the God of joy, the God that Dave gave David more joy and peace than the world that was lying about him and threatening him and seeking to destroy him could ever give him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would grant me this needy sinner so often full of the cares and distresses of this world and not filled with appreciation and understanding of how much you have cared and loved and taken care of me. Oh God, forgive me of that. and Forgive us of our pessimism and our Eeyoreism and our anger and our being dejected by the lies of Satan or of this world. And I pray that we'd rise up and we'd let Psalm provide words for our prayers and we'd cry out to you and trust and cling to your promises. Oh, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as we wrap up, um, <clears throat> I just I uh, I want you to take this um, this week, and if you can grab a a rock somewhere. I mean, there's snow now. But if you can take a rock for you or your family, and I encourage you to, to get a good old Sharpie. If you need help getting some of these materials, let us know. We'd love to help provide that for you. Get a rock and, and have a time with yourself, your spouse, if you have kids, with your kids or grandkids. Write down 2020 like this says 2019. Draw some... Do this with your kids, or draw some pictures, draw some words, start to think about the different things, the different people, the different circumstances in your life where you've said, I'm thankful for that. God, those were gifts from you this year. Those were reminders of your mercy.
Um, it might be verses of scripture. It might be names of people. Um, it's, it might be things that you'll put every year on the same rock, on, on the rock every year, like the word and prayer and food. But it might be new friends, new situations that come into your life. Do that. And, and, and then give thanks to God and praise him for it. We, we have a rock for the last several years, and they just sit around our house, sometimes in the closet until we pull them out at the right time, um, as, as a reminder of God's mercy. These are traditions that we try to do in order to just proactively thank God uh, for what he has done. Lord willing, we will be back and go broadcasting at 11 o'clock next Sunday um, at 11 o'clock, Pastor Mike has a great message for us. If the Lord wills, we intend to go back to services on December 6th, and I realize that some will not be able to yet come um, and be part of those on, um, in on-campus services. I hope that you're well, and I hope that we can know how we can, you can let us know how we can pray for you and help you. God bless you, and here is the benediction. Is the benediction from number six. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord cause his face to shine on you, and may he lift up his countenance upon you, and may he give you his peace through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.